From the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 to the Inflation Reduction Act of just this year, lawmakers across the aisle are often tempted to implement temporary tax policies. But is this how tax policy should be done? What are the pros and cons of writing tax laws that have an end date? And why do we find ourselves having a debate at the end of each year about so many temporary provisions? Hello and welcome to The Deduction, a Tax Foundation podcast. My name is Jesse Solis, communications manager here at the Tax Foundation, and we cannot go more than three episodes without having this guest return. We are back with the one and only Garrett Watson, our senior policy analyst. Garrett, how are you? Doing well. Uh, tax policy is keeping us busy. How are you, Jesse? I'm doing well as well. Uh, my roommate and I in college, we'd always say, how are you? And we just ended at well, and that would be the entire conversation for the morning. It was fun times. Um, so, Garrett, it's been a busy year in the tax space, and there's been a lot of one-offs. The Inflation Reduction Act, it was big, but doesn't happen every single year. Global minimum tax, big, does not happen every single year. Today's topic, this is something that happens year-end and year-end without fail, and that is tax extenders. Uh, can you... Define to us real quick what tax extenders are. Every year, federal policymakers typically have a long list of tax policies that are in effect uh, for for the year or even in prior years that are uh, expiring. They were uh, enacted uh, temporarily uh, originally, but every year uh, a package of them comes forward to be extended uh, often for only another short period of time, say a year or two. And they've uh, taken on a life of their own and they're known uh, in D.C. as tax extenders. And this tends to happen near the end of the year and is sort of wrapped into uh, an ongoing discussion about what makes sense to to be extended, uh, what makes sense uh, to uh, to expire. Uh, and they, they've, they've evolved and changed over time, but it is a, a continuing thing in Washington as policymakers think about how to wrap up the end of the year. And it often happens in a flurry as folks are looking to leave D.C. for the holidays. Uh, and we are expecting a, yet another one of these packages to happen this year, and there's uh, lots to talk about in that space. Yeah, and this us- this conversation tends to happen usually, you know, end of October, early November, maybe, uh, when those year-end funding packages are all kind of in play. Uh, but we're talking a little bit earlier about it right now and for term- in terms of history. Um, and that's because I believe Representative Buchanan on Ways and Means offered a bill addressing some temporary policies. Can you talk about what that was and what it does? Right. So there's both a short-term and a long-term component to tax extenders. In the short run, there are policies that often expire uh, on an annual or even every two years uh, that need to be uh, considered. Often these are smaller provisions. Commonly, they were energy provisions, for example, that incentivized clean energy that were changed as part of the Inflation Reduction Act earlier this year. And then there are bigger picture items that are going to be expiring uh, either this year or in, in years in the future uh, and and that, that connects back to this legislation that Representative uh, Buchanan uh, introduced. And that's looking at primarily the, the tax changes brought about by the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, which uh, while some of those provisions, including the reduction in the corporate tax rate from 35% to 21% were permanent, many of them were temporary, including the entirety of the individual side of those tax changes, including the increased standard deduction, the reduced tax brackets and rates that folks uh, took advantage of, uh, along with a lot of other other tax cuts. Uh, and those are all scheduled to expire at the end of 2025. And while that is a very long time in political terms, uh, it's going to be a pretty large uh, shift. And that does require policymakers to think about uh, and plan out what their vision is for uh, that change in the end of 25. In the case of Representative Buchanan, he's looking at uh, extending and making permanent those tax changes so taxpayers have some stability and understand uh, where their tax situ- situation may be 
after 2025. Okay, and just to confirm too, it seems like a lot of those, if not all those individual provisions in TCJA 2025 end date, is there anything sunsetting this year that lawmakers are considering too? Or is the TCJA kind of like, it's a few years out, but, you know, let's talk about it now. So on the individual side, we're primarily looking at a end of 2025 time horizon, but that's very different on the business side. So there are several provisions that either expire at the end of this year or actually already kicked in at the beginning of this year. The the two biggest ones on the business side related to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act for this year that started, uh, one is uh, previously the TCJA allowed businesses to fully and immediately deduct all expenses related to research and development costs. Uh, now uh, they must amortize or deduct those costs uh, year by year over time, over five years instead. Uh, so that is one tax change that policymakers are looking at at canceling at the end of this year because uh, of both how unusual it is historically and compared to our international um, peers and because it may have uh, negative economic effects for R&D investment. The second one to mention uh, that's relevant this year that kicked in at the beginning of this year is the TCJA restricted how much uh, firms can deduct interest expenses that they have if they take on debt to make certain investments. And, and that uh, deduction uh, becomes a little more limited this year. Uh, and so that, that's yet another uh, tax provision that some folks are pushing to have, uh, have canceled. These are both provisions that were meant to broaden the tax base in the TCJA, uh, but were uh, scheduled to only start uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, and the hope is that those can be rolled back so that there isn't uh, this negative economic effect that may be of concern as we look at a weakening economic situation in the second half of this year. And, you know, I, I think of I'm approaching this from like a taxpayer's perspective. You, you see a tax change. You're like, OK, cool. You know, you think about it come tax time. Um, I don't think you really think about the dates included in those laws that are passing. So why are there so many dates and different dates attached to all these provisions in the first place, Garrett? Right. So I think that question is what really uh, sort of culminates in why we see temporary tax policy be so popular in Washington. And a lot of this is tied into the budget process. Uh, when you look at uh, and this is this happens on a bipartisan basis across party lines. It is not particularly ideological. It really is a function of the fact that uh, the the budget situation uh, is uh, what policymakers are most worried about uh, when they're looking at uh, tax changes and other fiscal changes. And anything that they can do to modify these provisions to fit with the budget rules in Congress, they're going to be really tempted to do. And one major lever in that context is making certain tax changes or spending changes temporary, which may uh, conceal or change the stated cost of those tax changes, right? And so that that is something, again, we've seen on a bipartisan basis. Um, the critics of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act point to that, the fact that some of these uh, base broadeners didn't kick in until later, and now they're look, looking to be canceled. But that's also true of the, of the Build Act Better discussion that we saw this year, right, where there was a lot of tax benefits that were going to be provided, such as the expanded child tax credit, but only temporarily. Uh, and the idea behind that was that would reduce the stated cost of that benefit. But everyone sort of had, had an understanding um, uh, for the supporters that this was something they intended to make permanent, but they weren't going to explicitly make it permanent in that budget, uh, in that proposal, uh, so that uh, they did not have to uh, explicitly grapple with the, the very high cost of, for example, an expanded child tax credit, which would have been north of of one and a half trillion dollars over 10 years. So I think those are just two examples of why there's a lot of temptation 
to make uh, temporary tax policy, but it comes at the very real expense of stability and predictability for taxpayers. And if we think back in recent history, even I remember feel like President Obama's first like battle was what to do with the Bush tax cuts. You know, those had expiration dates on it, too. Is that really the only recent example we have of this kind of being a trend throughout multiple Congresses or has temporary policy been here for a while? Temporary policy has existed, uh, you know, big and small for you know, a very long time. It's always been something that policymakers are tempted, tempted to do. Part of it has to do with the fact, uh, in addition to the, the budget gimmickry, uh, that there's, of course, changing uh, economic circumstances. And some policymakers, I think, are tempted to uh, respond to those with temporary policy, right? We're going to provide, say, temporary pandemic relief for a temporary situation, or we're going to uh, provide, uh, you know, one-off changes to help boost the economy when it's, when it's most needed in a more conventional downturn. And so we have seen temporary policies in response to dynamic uh, conditions, but that does uh, also bleed into uh, sort of an ongoing uh, use of temporary policy. I, th- I think this, this tax extender situation is a great example of that. Uh, there's no uh, sort of expectation that tax extenders are going to go away. And it's a year in, year out situation where we have a laundry list of temporary policies, many of which are very small and have uh, you know a lot of vested interests in supporting them and not much interest in making any of these permanent to make a, you know, a long run decision for taxpayers on those provisions. All right. So last point in this first section here, Garrett, do you think just politically, I know we're not political analysts here, but do you think the will for temporary policy is kind of always going to outweigh a permanent fix or a permanent solution? Or is it kind of just case by case basis here? I think it's it's a mixed bag. Partly there is, I think, some uh, fatigue when it comes to temporary policy. A lot of folks uh, do, I think, get frustrated when they deal with, you know, trying to come up with a political deal to extend a certain policy only to deal with it a year or two later. That can be very frustrating. And sometimes that has, I think, uh, that, that frustration and the desire to provide stability for taxpayers has won out before. Two very quick examples. Uh, the R&D tax credit, uh, which is now a permanent part of the tax law, was actually an extender at one point until 2015. Hmm. And if that, as part of the PATH Act, was made permanent. That's one example of moving the ball forward on, on stability and permanency. The second is actually in the Inflation Reduction Act, which, is, which despite a lot of its failings, uh, did try to uh, provide a longer runway for a lot of the energy tax credits that we were trying to extend every year, even retroactively, which provided a lot of instability for folks in that space. And uh, as part of the IRA, most of them were extended out at least 10 years. So far from perfect, a lot of those credits shouldn't exist in the first place. But at the very minimum, getting away from a year-by-year political battle on, on tax extenders is uh, is an improvement, but still a lot of work to be done in that space, given that we still have many temporary policies out there. With that, we'll be right back. And we are back with our section we call Myths and Misconceptions. We tackle some common uh, talking points about these various policies we discuss week in and week out here on the, on the deduction and kind of get to the bottom of it, see if it's real, see if there's some misconceptions and kind of clear it up for you all. Uh, so, Garrett, my first question here in our Myths and Misconceptions section, um, some people might say, especially lawmakers, hey, a temporary policy um, is going to help the economy. You know, I think in terms of COVID, hey, we need these temporary things right now because they're good. They're going to grow the economy. Even, you know, going back to TCJ, they're saying this is going to help economic growth, even though it's temporary. Is that true or is temporary policy just kind of 
we don't like it. I think there's two different uh, way uh, lenses to look at this. Uh, when you look at uh, specific, you know, targeted relief for uh, very unusual events such as the pandemic, there is some uh, some some benefit to thinking about uh, temporary policy. Uh, in that, you know, something that makes sense in a temporary disruption uh, that's really uh, severe and unusual um, may make more sense than something that's that's permanent, right? And so a lot of the relief that we saw in the CARES Act, for example, probably fits that bill. Uh, though there's still very real trade-offs to that, too, because, uh, again, any any temporary policy that's created by, by policymakers to respond to a crisis, there's going to be a temptation to extend that even during normal times. And I think we've seen that in some of the discussions about how to properly wind down pandemic relief. But that's one area where, you know, if you want to make the sort of best case for temporary policy where that that makes sense. Uh, but uh, th- there very much is, um, I think, a broader sort of argument about temporary policy being a way to stimulate economic growth or provide longer term benefits to, uh, to uh, taxpayers and households separate from temporarily providing relief. We saw this, I think, for example, in some of the uh, again, on, on both sides of the of the spectrum, on various tax changes, where you know we think, for example, uh, temporarily providing full and immediate expensing for businesses may provide an economic boost. That's true for the, in the short run um, as it exists, but we have to remember that taxpayers and households and folks working in the economy think in a long term time horizon, and they're going to take advantage of the fact that there is a temporary tax change if it benefits them. But in the long run, we find both in the literature and in our economic modeling of the tax foundation that it doesn't provide this, the long run economic boost that we're all looking for. And that makes sense because only long run permanent tax policy uh, and permanent policy changes can create long run permanent changes in our living standards. And so uh, I think that's a really uh, important insight when we think about uh, the wow. benefits of permanency. It's not just a, a benefit to taxpayers in terms of predictability. It also actually makes a meaningful change on uh, economic impacts because uh, it's really only those long-run policies that are going to create the long-run growth that we're all looking for. And if we could, for a quick minute, kind of expound on that. So I, we think of the tax code often as you get the business side and you got the individual side. You're you're saying that permanent changes to those are better for both parties over a temporary fix for either. Like planning is just as important to individual taxpayers as it is to large corporations per se. That's right. I think stability is, is a really understated uh, understated uh, value in the tax system as folks think about, uh, you know, planning uh, over the short run, uh, both individuals and they think about the choices they're going to make about their work, uh, about where they're going to live, uh, about, you know, just, just basic life decisions about what makes sense for themselves and their families. It's a lot easier to plan that stuff out if you have a, a permanent or at least a very stable tax code. The same is true um, with uh, businesses, right? They're dealing with a very tumultuous and dynamic economic situation, even in the best of times. It's especially true now when you see a lot of these uh, problems and challenges they're dealing with economically. And it, it only makes it worse if you have a tax code that is unpredictable and swinging wildly uh, between um, you know, uh, different visions here. Uh, and I think that's the last thing to add here on this is I think this is actually made worse by the fact that um, because there's not a lot of common ground on tax policy, uh, the economic, the, the political cycle is really driving a lot of this instability where, you know, the results of any particular cycle mm-hmm. are going to create wild swings in the expectations of where tax policy is going to land for businesses and individuals. Not a great situation if you're trying to think about what you're going to do for yourself and your family and your business five or 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Garrett, last question here in Myths and Misconceptions. Um, I think this kind of weighs into the politic political side of the argument too, but 
just point blank is temporary okay sometimes is there ever a situation where it's like yes this temporary fix is good yeah i think that, uh in, in very narrow circumstances where there there needs to be for example relief from a once in a century pandemic it may be appropriate to institute a temporary policy but it really needs to be with clear guardrails and shared expectations about what the goal of the policy is and when it's going to expire because I think from a political economy perspective, uh, we really see a lot of these programs and tax changes take on a life of their own, their own sort of vested constituencies that far exceed the value or the intended purpose of the program. And so that that's really important in, in the uh, design to, to make sure uh, that that doesn't that the costs of that temporary policy happening and creating that uncertainty if it's continuously extended doesn't outweigh the benefits that we may find of implementing a temporary policy to uh, respond to a uh, to a crisis, but again, that's more in the, in, in the context of relief and not in terms of economic growth. For economic growth, permanency and stability is really the the best solution. All right, Garrett. So as we wrap things up here, um, extenders. I'm sure we'll be back here next year talking about the extended extender battle, but uh, the TCJA bill is out there right now to make those things permanent. What's kind of your message to everyone as that's being considered, or if, you know, if parties change next Congress, it might be considered, you know, by a different party. Uh, what do you think people need to keep in mind as those expirations and sunsets of TCJA keep coming forward? I think a big temptation with temporary policy, and that's true for everyone, is to wait at the last second to deal with it and to really think about uh, these issues. And that's not great uh, for anyone, really, right? From a stability perspective, knowing what's going to happen, waiting until the last minute in December 2025 for individual tax changes, it, you know, makes people nervous. And it doesn't necessarily create the best policy if we're not having ongoing discussions and debates about what makes sense after a lot of these things are, are set to expire. And so beginning that discussion early is really important. And at the Tax Foundation, we started that by uh, really starting a, a discussion about growth and opportunity is the way we're thinking about it, how to create a tax code to maximize uh, economic growth and opportunity for all Americans over the next five years. And we're starting that now, knowing that a lot of this will play into these discussions over the next two or three years. Uh, and in, you, even if, uh, if folks have alternative ideas, when we need a lot of uh, diversity of ideas here, starting that now and having that discussion even years in advance may seem early politically, but from a policy perspective, that's how we get the best outcomes rather than waiting until the last second. I've never once waited to the last second to do something. Never once in college, never once in now. <laughs> uh, no, that, Garrett, that's, that's sound advice as always. Uh, it's always great talking to you. Uh, I have an idea of what the answer to this will be, but what's next for you here in the coming months at the Tax Foundation? What are you, what are you working on? So a big project we're working on, as I, as I had mentioned, is uh, the, our Growth and Opportunity Project, which we released a paper at the beginning of this year outlining some of our big picture ideas about how to, uh, how to generate growth through the tax code, how to simplify things for taxpayers and uh, remove unnecessary tax burdens and complexity. And we're actually looking at modeling that and putting some numbers to that. What will it mean to revenue? Mm. What will it mean to growth and the distribution of, of, of the tax burden and, and incomes? How will incomes change and improve? And so we're, we're really excited to, to get those numbers out there uh, and get feedback from folks and really kickstart this conversation. Nice. And I'll be sure to link to the our growth and opportunity agenda in the Episode description here. Garrett, how can people find you online to keep up with this work? You can find me on Twitter at GS underscore Watson. And all of our work is at taxfoundation.org. That is excellent. Well, Garrett, once again, as always, it's a pleasure. Uh, love talking to you. And we'll be sure to do it again soon. Thanks so much. 
Uh, before we go, everyone, we wanted to remind you about our upcoming mailbag episode. We are still collecting questions for that. Um, but we want to remind you guys that we are uh, tax policy experts, tax policy nerds. We are not, sadly, tax preparers or tax uh, financial advisors. Uh, so we can't answer any questions like about return amounts or how you should uh, pick a platform to file taxes on. Um, but if you have questions about, you know, what's going on at state level policy should the u.s you know add a value add a tax uh, we are more than happy to answer those questions shoot us a note at taxfoundation.org slash mailbag once again that is taxfoundation.org slash mailbag we'll see you guys next time on the deduction 